Hi Angie, thanks for joining me today. Hello, pleased to be here. What interests you about this role and why do you feel that it's important to take philosophy beyond the lecture room to a much wider public? Well, I think there are four main reasons why philosophy is a fabulous subject for all people to engage with at some level from childhood to old age. The first, I think, is just great fun. It is enormously exciting, it's amusing. A lot of the character philosophers in history have been very idiosyncratic and eccentric and engaging characters. And it's just, it's just very pleasurable. So I really want to emphasize the fun aspect of it. And I think that it, we should also emphasize that at some level, philosophy is accessible to all. There is some way in which everybody, whatever age you are, whatever level of educational attainment you have, can engage with philosophy and get a lot out of it. Secondly, I think if we look at all the, the quote answers, I say quote because philosophy doesn't come up with a set of rules for how to live and there's no agreement amongst philosophers on how to live. But if you look at the kind of quote answers in history that different philosophers have given to some of the huge ethical and metaphysical questions um, that we can pose as human beings, you increase your uh, repertoire for tackling the, the challenges of today. So we're, we're kind of putting more tools in our toolbox. So let, let me give you an example. For instance, last week I was in a, a supermarket and I wanted to buy some bluebirds. And I went along and there were blueberries from Scotland and there were blueberries from New Zealand. And I thought, well, immediately I thought, well, I should buy the Scottish blueberries, you know, support one's local economy, fewer air miles, etc., local rather than global. But then I thought, well, hang on, do I know for sure that the carbon footprint of these Scottish blueberries overall is less than that of the New Zealand blueberries? And as well as the carbon footprint issues, what about the New Zealand economy? What's going to happen if everybody, apart from New Zealanders, um, does not buy New Zealand produce because they're so far away? So a lot of issues to think about there. If one has some philosophical training, it helps you to clarify which of these problems are really essential problems and which are contingent, which depend on circumstances and by changing the circumstances you can get to an answer on your problem. Um, if, if you're interested, I decided to buy local 70% of, about 70% of the time and sort of more globally about 30%. That was my own personal decision. Thirdly, I think uh, philosophy can really help one um, uh, acquire a lot of transferable skills in terms of conceptual analysis and how to construct and deconstruct an argument. Uh, for instance, um, are people, if there's a, if a problematic word, uh, for instance, such as freedom, um, is everybody in the debate using that word in the same way? What does that wor word really mean? Are we free to do things? Do we does it mean that we're free from somebody forcing us and so on and so forth? So conceptual analysis and whether we all agree on our terms. Uh, again, we can help, it can help us construct our own arguments using clear techniques of deductive and inductive argument, arguing from a premise through different moves in the argument to a conclusion. So it can help us do all that. 
And of course, it can help us analyse um, and critique other people's arguments and, and think to ourselves, you know, is, does this person really know what they're talking about? Does B really follow from A in the way that they're suggesting? And that's all enormously helpful. And, the, and those are techniques that can help us really in any, in any walk of life. And then fourthly, I wanted to emphasize the whole social aspect of philosophy, because it's often best done in dialogue with one other person, more than one other person in a group. Um, so it can help increase your understanding of other people's points of view. It can help increase your empathy with them. It can help you to listen as well as to talk. People often uh, discuss how philosophy helps you to talk more articulately and in a clearer way, and that's all true, but a good philosopher can also listen. You touched on carbon footprints and environment issues, and I was just wondering, um, can philosophy have a part to play in medical ethics or gene therapy? Oh yes, hugely, and you know, a lot of uh, hospitals do employ um, trained ethicists you know on their committees absolutely in things like stem cell research exactly gene therapy all sorts of fertilization techniques uh, philosophy has an enormous role to play it can help us think about even more fundamental issues like what is it to possess a healthy mind or a healthy body and once you've got a grasp on what you think those are then you can get a grasp on what you think a sick or diseased mind or body is but again, we can't really understand illness and disease unless we have some sort of understanding about what it is to be well. And not everybody will agree on that. Not all doctors and nurses agree on that. And I know because for a paper I wrote a couple of years ago, I went around interviewing doctors, nurses, psychiatrists, healthcare workers, midwives about what they thought physical and mental health were. Some said they'd never thought about it. Some said that you know, they had a view, but they didn't agree with each other. So that's exactly the kind of role that philosophy can be very practical in helping us uh, think through the issues. And do you think that there are misunderstandings of what the word philosophy means? Oh, absolutely. I think if you... I, I haven't done a spot check, it would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Maybe I will in my new role, go and stand in a high street and nab passers-by like a a rather uh, mini sort of version of Socrates and say, what do you think philosophy means? I think some would think it was to do with sort of meditation. Um, others would think it was going to give you a set, agreed, final uh, series of answers to life. Whereas that's not what is going on here. Philosophy is the beginning of a journey, not, not the end of it. It's an exploratory uh, subject. Um, and other people would just look blank and say, I don't know. But of course, the word itself is, is a wonderful one. It, it comes from the ancient Greek. It just means love of wisdom. So you've got that love, wonderful passion and emotion uh, in it right from the beginning. And the Greek philosopher Aristotle, uh, writing in the 4th century BC, uh, he says that the urge to philosophize originated from a sense of wonder and curiosity. Humans looked around at the world and were just intrigued by it. So if we get back to that root of curiosity, wonder, fascination and love of wisdom, then uh, the, the journey begins. Everything starts to open up, not to close down. How do you plan to make philosophy more accessible to the public? 
Well, we've got all sorts of different uh, ways and media that we can use. We've, there's radio, television, print journalism, podcasts like this one, of course, um, Twitter. We're going to explore Twitter, <laughs> the role of Twitter here. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking in, in schools and, and universities anyway. So lots of media, but we're, we're thinking up new ways all the time. You have a particular interest in ancient Greeks. Why do you feel they are important to the way we live to get today? And will they play a role in, in what you're going to be developing? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Now, I do have a passion for ancient Greek philosophy. Um, well, I, as we were saying earlier, if you study philosophy, you, part of that study is the history of philosophy, which, again, increases your resources to tackle current and future problems. So for me, the main reason why we study the past in philosophy and in any other subject is, of course, because the past is intrinsically interesting, but mainly because it helps us with the present and the future. It's, it opens up doors in our minds. They have the same problems, but they may not ask questions in the same way. They certainly don't come up with the same answers. For instance, the ancient Greeks have no one word which means happiness in the sense that we have a subjective sort of feeling good. They have a concept of, of human flourishing and well-being, which is rather different. In Greek political uh, theory, the philosophy of political theory, they don't have clear distinctions between left-wing and right-wing. And again, that really helps us think through some of our current gridlocks. So absolutely, they're all part of the, the toolbox. And, and they're enormous fun. I mean, they're just so wacky and uh, eccentric and delightful. So. I wouldn't want anybody to, to be deprived of the pleasure of, of reading some of the great Greek philosophers. So do you have a favourite philosopher? Oh, that is so hard, isn't it? But I, I would have to go for Plato. For, for me, he tackles just all the big questions, sort of uh, what is there? How do we know about it? Um, why are we here? What's the place of humanity in the cosmos? What's the good life? How does the good life relate to the virtuous life? What is pleasure? What is love? What is desire? So all the big questions he's tackling, and he tackles them in such an interesting way because, as, as you, uh, you know, he doesn't ever write in his own voice. He writes in these wonderful, vibrant, vivid dialogues um, in which he gets all these different characters together giving different views so we as readers are, are drawn into those dialogues we're part of the the exploration and the quest so he doesn't give us answers he teaches us how to think for ourselves and that for me is just crucial um, for philosophy you're working with Iggy the international gateway for gifted and talented youth is it important that we start looking at philosophy from an early age? Well, I think so. I, th I, th I think, I mean, as a mother and um, you, you hear children from as young as two or three asking very basic philosophical questions. I mean, I remember my two-year-old pushing me away when I was trying to wipe her face and hands after a meal. And she said, my hands, my face, I am me and you are you. I mean, even at two, she was grappling with personal identity. Children absolutely do instinctively have this wonderful curiosity and ask these big questions without fear, without embarrassment. They are natural philosophers. And we want to 
we want to channel that energy and that interest. And of course, it's it's fabulous to, to work with Iggy. And, and, and uh, philosophy is a wonderful subject for very gifted children because beyond a certain level, uh, it can be, you know, difficult and challenging. And that's a good thing. It can stretch people and it can make them reach heights they didn't know they were capable of. But I also would want to emphasize that though it's a wonderful subject for very gifted children, I think philosophy has um, a lot for all of us, um, even for those of us who are, are less um, academically able or at least not labeled as such. Um, there is something here for everybody. You don't, it, it doesn't have to be an elitist subject. You, you can get something out of it, whatever your um, ability or educational attainment. But it is true that beyond a certain level, it is tough and it's challenging and it's difficult and very suited uh, to the children in Iggy. Um, and it can help build self-confidence and self-esteem because you think, wow, I've, I've tackled something pretty difficult. But I wouldn't want that to put people off because I really strongly believe in my 25 years of experience have confirmed this, that almost everybody is a lot brighter than they think they are. And almost everybody is capable of tackling much more difficult material than they might think. So philosophy is wonderful at, at stretching people and building your confidence. In France, philosophy is all over the place. Why, why do we seem to be more scared of it here in Britain? Well, now that is such an interesting question. And it's true when you go to the continent, France, Italy, Germany, um, there is just much more philosophy in your local bookstore. It doesn't have to be in a specialist academic section. Uh, people, you, you know, taxi drivers and shopkeepers that you talk to, they will often be able to discuss a philosopher with you. Um, and there isn't this sort of fear of it and in being intimidated by it that we get here. I think it is largely to do with our education system. There is much more philosophy in in schools uh, in France. It's much more seen as as part of your cultural inheritance, you know, that you you have a, a kind of right to know what the great, you know, what Descartes thought, um, just as you have a right to know what um, a great French writer like uh, Racine thought. So what we what I'm really trying to do with this new title is to to try and help do my little bit to change the culture in Britain and get people less scared of it and feel less intimidated by it. And as we were saying earlier, one of the ways of doing that is to try and introduce, whether formally through exams or maybe perhaps just informally through, through clubs and so on, get philosophy into schools. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me today. And I wish you all the best with your new appointment. Thank you very much. Well, it's the start of a very exciting journey. Thank you.